Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your initial deposit. How's it going, everybody? Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, live Patriots Beat podcast here on this Thursday afternoon. Alex, uh, we are less than one week from the start of Patriots training camp. It's hard to believe that the offseason is over, but we are almost there. We are six days away from football at least players being back out on the field. We won't get to full padded practices until maybe the second or third day of training camp, but we'll at least get to see players back out on the field on Wednesday, media availability all day Tuesday with Patriots head coach Bill Belichick and some of the captains and returning captains of the Patriots and things like that. So everything's sort of, starting to slowly get underway. The rookies are back in the building. Uh, Everybody is signed and under contract among that rookie class. So we're starting to hear some tricklings out of things going on and things happening and people reporting and football is almost here. Yeah, it, it, it's feeling really real. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's some of the ancillary stuff, obviously everything you just mentioned kind of gives you the feeling, but you know, the culture of football, everything around it is starting to feel that way. We have college football rankings coming out next week. We have Madden ratings coming out next week, which I am going to make you talk about at some point. Um, you know, just the, the little things that kind of happen around this time of year are, are, are starting to happen. And that's, that's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And we love training camp and this, this show is oh, yeah. made for training camp. Like the two of us live and breathe training camp. And, and I've said since college, cause I covered, where I went, I went to a D3 school. I mean, we went to the same school. I went to a D3 school. So we got, you know, pretty close, close access to the team. We were really the only ones covering them. And uh, we used to go to practice every day and we could watch the whole practice. And right. uh, I, I remember I always, there's, there's nothing better than just standing outside, standing up on a hill somewhere and watching football practice for like two, two and a half hours. It's just, it's so much fun. Right. So we both love it. This is I would say my, besides maybe the draft, I do love the draft. So the draft is great too. Yeah. I always get caught up in which one I like more, but training camp is definitely, if not number one on my list, it's number two of my favorite times of year. And Alex and I are going to be on the podcast at least twice a week. And we might even do more than that to break down everything. I think probably Wednesday since it's the first day of practice. Right. Right. So we'll definitely be here with you guys every step of the way during training camp, breaking down everything that we see. And I'm really excited that the fans will be back out at camp a whole much bigger pool of reporters will be allowed to be back out at camp as well. So Alex and I will bring all of the camp coverage uh, starting next week. But for now, we're still in preview mode. I I can't wait till we can actually talk about some real football, but we're still in preview mode right now. So we previewed the defense last week. This week, we're going to preview the offensive side of the ball for the Patriots. And I think similarly to the defense, and we're going to get into our rankings here in a moment of who is going to lead the team in receptions. Henry McKenna threw this out there yesterday. I think it's an interesting talking point because fun little exercise. Yeah. It's a fun little exercise because 
they're just like on the defense, there's so many new faces and there's so much change on this side of the football. It all looks great on paper, but how it's all going to come to fruition and how it's all going to come together during the season, you could make this top five. We did top five and you could make this top five 10 different ways. And I would believe you, right? Like it's really feels like no one has any clue Who's going to kind of step up? Who's going to be that number one target for whoever's under center and all these types of things that can come together once the season actually starts. But Alex, we both made top five lists, one through five of who we feel is going to be the team leader in receptions from one through five. I I, I want to get into our list and then I want to talk about the one guy that we both left off that I think okay. we uh, felt like we wanted to have on there, but we we did cut it off at five. But let, let's throw your list up there first, yep. um, so I can bash it. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, then we'll get we'll get to my list. But here is Alex's list of who will lead the Patriots in receptions, and you have a surprise a little bit to me at least at number one. And I, I like where your head's at. I want to hear your explanation to yep. it of having Johnu Smith in that top spot. So basically what I did is I started with, I I went back and I looked at the 2011 Patriots and that team actually Wes Welker led in in receptions, but this team doesn't have a a Wes Welker, obviously. And then it's the two tight ends. It's, it's Gronk and and Aaron Hernandez. And I think that Johnu Smith in some ways, so, so both tight ends are going to be heavily used, but I think one Johnu Smith in some ways can fill that Wes Welker role that he filled in 2011. I think, I don't know that they're going to run him out of the slot like that, like directly, but I think he can take some of that workload that Wes Welker had in 2011. The other thing is, I think whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Cam Newton or Mac Jones, Cam Newton said, right, that he was having trouble with the pre-snap reads and Mac Jones obviously is a rookie. So I think that there's going to be a heavy investment in plays that are screened open, both maybe complicated motion stuff, but even things as simple as screens. And who is the the biggest beneficiary uh, of of schemed open plays in this offense, or who should it be? And that's John U. Smith. So I'm I'm actually going to go Hunter Henry for yards, and I'm going to go James White for touchdowns. But if we're talking about receptions specifically, I'm going to go John U. Smith. I I was really tough at three four. James White has been a Patriots top three leading receiver for the last five years, but he did have a little bit of a down year last year. So I was really close on three and four. You can flip those. And at five, two, I know you want to talk about it separately in a little bit, but it really was a coin flip Nelson Aguilar versus Kendrick Bourne. Right. So I, I understand where you're coming from with Johnny Smith. Basically your yeah. argument is, is that they're going to have to, be a smoke and mirrors offense in a lot of ways. And Johnny is the best guy to use in those gadget type of plays, right? To force him the ball as a ball carrier, get him into space and let him create within his hands. If anybody is going to do that, amongst the Patriots pass catchers that they have currently, it's it's probably going to be Johnny. And I, I think too, there's some plays here that I mean like a pop pass, right? That's a catch. Right. But that's not you, you know, so like you, you got to consider things like that too. Right. So Number one, Johnny Smith. Number two, with Hunter Henry. Just why not Hunter Henry over Johnny for you? Um, well, so again, I think some of that scheme stuff. I I think too, Henry's going to be more. I think they're actually going to kind of use him as an X. I think they're going to use him more as a guy who can stretch the field. Now he'll do it on the middle of the field instead of the outside, and he won't be as much of a volume guy where where he'll be a big play guy. I just also think you know 
if you're a defense and you're scheming things up, there's more guys in the league and there's more more defenses in the NFL built to cover Hunter Henry than maybe there are John U. Smith in that, you know, there's there's other guys like Hunter Henry out there that, that you're going to have to cover, whether it be a guy like a Mike Kosicki, a guy like a Travis Kelsey. I don't know that in this two tight end system, there's as many pre-built, you know, existing defensive game plans to cover a guy like Johnny Smith. So I think where your head's at with this, because we're going to pull up my list in a second. We differed a little bit here. I think where your head is at with, in terms of Hunter Henry is that he's going to exist in high leverage situations. Yes. And that's going to be where they're really going to go to him, but he's not necessarily going to be, a hundred and twenty-five target type of guy, right. where they're they're going to him all, all the time. It's more going to be it's third and eight. We need a first down. Henry's our guy. It's red zone situation. Henry's our guy here, but not necessarily first and ten. Henry's our guy. Right. I I see him. I I see it in some ways. John who is the drive starter. Henry's the drive finisher. And I'll add too, because I forgot to mention, there's also the injury concern with Hunter Henry. And I've downplayed yeah. that since they signed him, and I stand behind that. But I do think that they are, at least early in the season, maybe going to limit his workload a little bit. Okay. And the last one I, I wanted to talk about with your list, we, we're going to talk about Jacoby Myers a little bit too, because I want yeah. to bring up my list before we discuss him. James White at number four over both Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. I think we both feel like last year is sort of a wash for James White based off of everything that happened on off the field for him. And we kind of are giving him a pass, right. To, to kind of bounce back and get back to his usual form. The only hesitancy I have with James White being on this list over a guy like Bourne is if it is Cam Newton under center, is he going to be efficient enough to his check downs for James White to be fed? Right, because right. he was he was pretty good with Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey's rookie year, uh, Cam did get him the ball pretty frequently. But you're going to have to see a much better uh, timing through the offense, if you will, out of Cam Newton in order for a guy like James White to be the old James White that we're used to with Tom Brady. So even with everything that happened last year, James White was second on the team in receptions. He had 49, despite only playing 14 games. Second only to Jacoby Myers. Over the past four years, he's been top two in receptions on this team, reliably. I just, I, it, it, it's a historical context thing for me. It's he's always in their top two. I felt bad putting him four. I wanted to put him three, but there did look to be a little bit of a physical drop off, as there generally is for backs of his age. So, uh, you know, I, I really, you know, I think I had him second at one point when I was doing this, and I was really back and forth between third or four. But if he's not in the top four. And for, for receptions, or at least for targets, I would be very surprised, assuming he stays healthy. Okay, so... They also, uh, sorry, they also no, no. don't have Rex Burkhead, who is their second leading right. receiving back. So That's there's actually point. room for his targets to go up. Okay, now you can go. Okay, oh. I want to put it up one last time. Is there anything yeah. else that you... I didn't, you know, question you on here that, that you wanted to bring up about your list? Um, I would say, I because I saw people doing this on Twitter, some people were saying that, you know, they were like qualifying. Nikhil Harry gets traded. He doesn't. This is my list, whether Nikhil Harry's on the team or not. I'll qualify that. Okay. All right. I like that. And I, I also want to qualify our list with, we're not doctors. We're not out here trying to predict people are going to get hurt, right? Yeah, this so is injuries off. Right. We're assuming that everybody's going to be out there at least enough, maybe not the full 16 games, but nobody's going to be uh, an IR season ender type of injury. Cause none of yeah. us could, we shouldn't really be predicting that kind of stuff. All right. Here, here is my list. 
I definitely differed a little bit with you on the tight ends. I feel like whether we had Aguilar at five and White at four or vice versa, it uh, doesn't really matter too much. But the two at the top that I had, number one, Hunter Henry, and number two, Jacoby, I think opens up a, the conversation that we wanted to have a little bit about Kendrick Bourne once we get to Jacoby. Number one with Hunter Henry, I, personally, I just feel – like Hunter Henry against man coverage, zone coverage, just in terms of running routes and his ability to get open is now the most dynamic Patriots pass catcher on the team. Because as much as I hear you about all the scheme stuff with Janu and all that kind of thing, Hunter Henry's ability to run routes is far superior to Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith is not a tactical route runner, right? He is yeah. a guy that can get vertically up the field very well. And he's a guy that can be schemed open and then create with the ball in his hands after the fact, but not necessarily someone that runs crisp routes. Hunter Henry has won successfully in the NFL Despite, I would say, I, I wouldn't call it lacking athleticism, but he's not an, an all-out explosive type of guy. He's not somebody that really burns up the field, but yet he still gets open in the phone booth because he's very physical at the top of the route. He's very good through his breaks with his footwork. He understands leverage. He understands how to get open against certain coverages. So to me, I, I feel like, and we're again, we're capping this with as long as everybody is healthy, right? right. I, I do think that Hunter Henry can return to that 2015-2016 Hunter Henry form when he first broke into the league with the Chargers, that was a different player than the guy in terms of receiving, than the guy that we've necessarily saw the last couple of years in Los Angeles slash San Diego. So if he can get back to that version of Hunter Henry, who was one of the best receiving tight ends in football at that time, I think he's going to be a highly, highly productive player for the Patriots. So can I get you kind of psychoanalyze my list? Can I can I take my turn at yours here? So Absolutely. You have Jacoby second. So you do you basically believe Jacoby is the replacement for the Edelman role that that's his spot? Cut it, send it is done. Yeah. So I this is the conversation that I really wanted to have was because Yeah. It's it's really between Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne for that role, right? And whoever wins that role is gonna be very, very high on this list. Yes. And we saw some people that had Kendrick Bourne all the way up at one. Right. Like, you know, right. people were throwing out their list yesterday. So whoever wins that battle for those reps as the second receiver, because you're going to assume that Aguilar is going to be out there for field stretching purposes pretty much a lot of the time. Like, I think right. Aguilar is probably going to be the guy that leads the team or leads the wide receiver group in snaps, similarly to why Demir Bird led the receivers in snaps last year. Even though he wasn't necessarily the best receiver on the team, he was a field stretcher and a burner, and they needed that guy to stretch the defense a little bit. I think it's similar uh, situation with Aguilar. With Jacoby versus Kendrick Bourne, that's really what it's going to come down to. And every single time – you doubt Jacoby, that guy just gets open. Like he, it's not necessarily the flashiest. He's not the most explosive guy. He's not the best, uh, most dynamic uh, route runner in terms of vertical speed and all these kinds of things, but yet he still gets open. And you watch the way that corners 
go up against him. And it's like he's faster than he actually is sometimes because guys actually really do respect his vertical, his vertical stems and his vertical speed off the line of scrimmage, even though he's like a four, five, five, four, six guy and isn't going to run by anybody. These DBs are backpedaling every single time he releases vertically up the field and he's able to break off those routes. I, I just don't want to sleep on Jacoby Myers because I do think that he really started to come on last year. And I don't think that that was just all good player, bad team, you know, NBA kind of comp there where like one guy has to shoot 40 shots. So he averages 25 a game. I don't think that it was all that for Jacoby Myers. I actually think that he really blossomed into a good player and is going to be a productive player again. So I guess what I would say is, and I I don't disagree with any of that. I think Myers is going to be a good player, but is he, do you think he'll be good enough or, or even if he is, do you think Josh McDaniels says, Here's Julian Edelman's entire role. It's yours. Like, I think they're going to break it up. I think Myers will get a good chunk of it, but I think Bourne gets some of it. And I also think Jonu Smith and James White get some of those responsibilities as well schematically that Julian Edelman used to handle. I mean, he was a massive, massive part of their offense. And I just don't see them giving all of that immediately to Jacoby Myers right away. I think he gets, again, I think he gets a good chunk of it, but I think Edelman's going to be replaced by committee. And that's kind of why I had mine lined up how I did. Yeah. You know, last year, Jacoby Myers was that guy, you know, he, he talked about, they didn't really have anybody else. They had nobody else. That's a fair point. And I think what we both struggled with on, on both of our lists, because we each only had, I, I think, two wide receivers, right? We didn't have that third wide receiver yeah. in there. And what I think we, we both, both we both probably have Kendrick Bourne at six though, right? I mean, I do. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I okay. think what we both struggled with is you're going to be in 12 personnel so often because right. you're not going to take either of those two tight ends I mean, off this, the field. This is the starting offense right here that we're looking right. at. Regardless right. of the order, the, these are this is the 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 ba- for lack of a better term, this is the base offense. Right, and maybe you can swap out Damian Harris on first and second right. down yeah. with James White, but this is their twelve. This is their money. Gotta have it. End of the game. Need to put a drive together. Twelve personnel. Right, right yep. here we think. Unless Boren again beats out Jacoby Myers, but the problem was is trying to find, uh, trying to put Boren on this list over even a guy like a James White potentially, or even over a guy like Aguilar is opportunity and and chances because if they're going to run so many packages with only two wide receivers on the field, either Myers or Kendrick Bourne, somebody's going to be the odd man out. Right. Right. And I think right now, based off of, I would say, a little bit of minicamp, but mostly just how good Jacoby Myers was last year, maybe, I I think both of us have sort of decided that's going to be Jacoby Myers. So the one thing I wonder, right, if if there's a way to open it up for Kendrick Bourne here, if Hunter Henry proves to be a good enough field stretcher with size instead of speed, and I know that that's not easy to do, but if he can kind of be the downfield threat guy and Aguilar didn't have an amazing spring, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't great. Did drop that pass. kind of keeps up. Does, does Hunter Henry, I'm trying to think of how to do this within the actual terminology and I'm, I'm confusing myself. Does Hunter Henry essentially become the X and then Myers and Bourne are your two receivers working underneath. It's possible. I just, 
I think that they're going to want to have Aguilar out there because even if he's not a highly productive receiver, and this is I think something that I am going to argue with Patriots fans all season long because they're going to sit there and they're going to say they're paying the guy $12.5 million. He's only has 30 catches on the season. We're in week 15. They're overpaying this player. But what you really have to look at with him to me is how are other teams aligning their safeties? Right. And how right. Are, how does the middle of the field look? Does it look crowded or does those, are those safeties creeping down? And every single time Johnny runs up the seam or Hunter Henry runs over the middle of the field, that deep safety is crashing down and crashing down and trying to take away that route. Or is Nelson Aguilar's effect on the offense good enough that he's pushing those safeties back, that he's forcing the post safety to respect the deep patterns and he's forcing these guys in the back end of the defense, even against the run. Right? Can he prevent teams from crowding the line of scrimmage because he brings that vertical speed? The second that you take Aguilar off the field, if you're the Patriots, they're already one of the slowest offenses in the league, even even right. with him out there. They now become easily the slowest offense in the NFL if you take him off the field. Again, I'm not saying it's likely, but I just think if Bourne's going to get regular snaps, I think it's Aguilar. Like Aguilar, to me, is the most likely guy coming off, unless they start going without running backs, which is possible, too. Because without Rex Burkhead, does Jonu Smith essentially become your second receiving back besides James White? Again, I'm going out of the box here, but no. it's it just kind of proves how how cemented that group is. Like the only other way is okay, James White needs a rest. Ramondre Stevenson's not ready. Either they make Damian Harris the second pass catching back, or they run Jonu Smith out of the backfield, which he's done, and then Kendrick Bourne comes on and you're in what would that be? O2 personnel, right? Without um, the running back, yeah. Yeah, you're in 0-2. So uh, that that would really be the only other way you could see it happening. Uh, can I ask you a question about this? Just yeah, kind of extend it. Just but I want to go off of that point, though, okay, because yeah. I, when they signed these two tight ends, and especially when they signed Johnny with all the things that he did in the backfield for Tennessee, my mind instantly went to, to 0-2 personnel, right? Yeah. Like, can they actually – can they pull that off? And secondly, to can they can obviously pull it off, but are they going to want to put Johnny out there like that? Not because it's not a good way to use him, but if you remember, they definitely used Aaron Hernandez like that out of the backfield quite a bit. And he had a carry. I, I want to say it was, it must've been 2011, right? Uh, Cause you know, obviously everything happened after that. So I think it was 2011 and they handed the football off to Aaron Hernandez with him coming out of the backfield. He got popped and it. He got a concussion, right? And he was concussed right. for the rest of the season. And you wonder you know, playing running back and carrying the football like that is the body blows is an, is a factor, right? And and how much do you want to unveil that? Now the Patriots, when they went to Aaron Hernandez out of the backfield, that was in playoff games, big, you know, right. prime time playoff type implication games. It, it was situationally, right? It wasn't like that was their offense all the time because they didn't want to risk Hernandez getting hurt out of the backfield. But this Patriots team, we hope they're back in the playoffs, but they're going to have to fight their way into the playoffs. It's not like they're going to walk into the playoffs well, like that Patriots we'll, team. We'll but. see how many losses the Bills have to you know, give up with Cole Beasley and, J- and uh, Josh Allen, but that's another story. Right. So <laughs> at what point in time do we get – in, into a point of the season is that right away that Josh McDaniels throws that out because that is by far no no disrespect to James White who's a really good player but I, I really feel like from a passing standpoint that might be their most dynamic group right right well, 
Well, well, that's kind of the thing. And, and you just kind of touched on it there. You know, yes, handing Smith the ball is definitely an inherent risk. And you do need to do it once or twice to keep defenses off guard. But I, you're probably not in that set in a situation where you're realistically going to run it anyway. I think being one-sided in terms of the a passing tendency out of that set maybe isn't the worst thing in the world because you're not using it in situations where the defense is going to expect run anyway. And there's still ways to get him the ball, Johnny Smith, the ball creatively out of the backfield, out of that set that aren't as risky. I talked about the pop pass before screens, things like that. They they used to throw that little little swing pass to Hernandez in the flat where they would just swing them out and and run like a little, it wasn't a full on, I guess it kind of was a screen, but there was like a bubble. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, there, there's there's ways around it, right? right. There, there's ways around taking that risk. And I, you know, I'm not coming out now again. Maybe if you're in the playoffs, maybe if it's for the game, you're doing this. But I, I'm not coming out in that set in like second and three. I'm saving that for third and seven, third and eight, two minute drill, things like that, where the defense isn't going to be keying in on the run anyway. Right, exactly. All right, well, let, let's wrap this up and uh, get on to some of these other players on the offense. But well, so. Uh, Can I ask you two questions? Sure. Because they're part of this conversation. Do the Patriots have a hundred catch receiver this year? Yes or no? I think the only guy that could get to a hundred would be Jacoby. And I don't think he's going to get the target share to get to a hundred. So I'm going to say no. I think they're going to make a big time point of spreading the ball out. I'm also going to say no. Um, We just did catches yards. Give me your top three. Ooh. If I'm going to go yards, I, I, Man, that's tough because you well, just... we did catches. I mean, it's an arbitrary stat. We might as well do the other two big ones. <laughs> it's fair. All right. So if I'm going to go yards, I I still think Hunter Henry is going to lead them in yards as well. But I I would I would probably have it the same with Hunter Henry, Jacoby, Johnny, one, two, three. I would agree with that for yards. I have okay. a, I, I think catches and yards. One of my bold predictions for the season. Spoiler alert: will be that the the leader in catches yards and receiving touchdowns will be three different players. I think they're really going to spread it out. So Evan touchdowns, we'll just do leader for this one. Give me your, your leader for receiving touchdowns. John Smith. I, I think they're going to find so many creative ways down by the goal line to get him the ball in his hands. There's that one play that always stands out to me from his Tennessee days where they handed to him on a jet sweep coming across the formation. And so just, just receiving touchdowns. There. Just receiving touchdowns. Okay, well, maybe they pop pass it to him instead. Okay. So it counts right, as a receiving right. touchdown. Uh, he can also box people out, go above the rim, do the whole contested catch thing as well. He did it. It was a really good kind of above-the-rim contested catch receiver with the Titans too. So I think that he's going to be a real menace in the red zone. So I, I'll go Johnny. I'm actually going to go James White. I think that with two tight ends back on the field – Remember what a mismatch James White was against the middle linebackers in the red zone yeah. there, 2017, 18, 19. Part of the reason he didn't see that, I think, last year is there weren't, you know, there weren't tight ends tying up the, safety. uh, the safeties. Right. So the safeties could come up and help on James White. I think you're going to start seeing a lot of James White in the red zone on these slower linebackers again. He's going to take advantage. He's going to feast. So I have uh, John Smith leading in catches, Hunter Henry leading in yards, 
James White leading in touchdowns. Those are my, those are my. Right. And I go Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry, Johnny. Johnny. Okay. It's going to be interesting. I'm going to write this down. We'll revisit this after week eight, but I like it. um, It's interesting. For full disclosure, Alex usually nails these and I'm usually completely off. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what, what happens. Uh, Our guy Murph is pointing out that James White's production gets hurt by cam. He really wants, but again, he was the second leading receiver on the team last year. I, I don't, you know, because this yeah. is all relative to everybody else. We can talk about it. And that's why I asked you the hundred catch question, because the order to me almost isn't as relevant as does their leading receiver have a hundred catches or does he have 50 like he did last year? So, you know, this is again, it's relative to everybody. James White's overall production goes down because of Cam, how they scheme it, you know, his production relative to just the other players on the team. I think that it's certainly the quarterback factors into an extent, but not massively. I think James White's going to get what he's going to get relative to the rest of the players, uh, regardless of who the quarterback is. Now, whether he catches five touchdowns or 10 touchdowns, whether he has 50 catches or 75 catches, that's going to come down to the quarterback. But where he is relative to everybody else, I actually don't think the quarterback matters too much. Okay, so let's get into some of these other – we kind of just talked about the core of the offense yeah. in terms of pass catchers, but we didn't mention a lot of guys that I think people are interested to see in camp or maybe are interested in the storylines with. Let's start with the tight ends, uh, Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, the, the second-year tight ends. Asiasi did have some flashes at the end of last year. He, I thought he had a decent mini camp as well. He did make a, a few catches in team girls during mini camp. I think Devin Asiasi can play. The, the problem is, is that the Patriots went out and signed Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Obviously the opportunity is not going to be there. So he's probably just going to be a number three tight end on the depth chart right now. But I, I do feel like Asiasi has got something there and I, I don't know if it's enough to really warrant trading him, because I'm not sure the value is really going to be there, that they're actually going to get something that's going to matter to them in return. But how do you feel about Devin Asiasi going into this year? And I guess maybe the biggest question with him is Hunter Henry, especially, but Johnny Smith a little bit too, have been known to get nicked up a little and and have some injuries throughout the season. Do you feel better about Devin Asiasi having to play a more prominent role this year if, let's say, Hunter Henry were to go down with an injury? Well, I guess I feel better that he doesn't have to play a prominent role. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I said it before. I do think that they're going to be a little careful with Hunter Henry early on, given his injury history. But maybe that's the way for Asiasi to develop. And this is the problem last year. He was just kind of thrown out there as go be the guy. And he was facing top tight end coverage. And that's tough. Not that he wouldn't in place for Henry, but I think that they can kind of bring him along, right? They can say, hey, you're going to get, you know, this drive. You're going to get these next two, three, four plays. But in high leverage situations, they obviously have a much better option in in Hunter Henry. So I, you know, based on what we saw last year, do I feel great about it? No. But after what we saw this spring and that I think that there is a really solid uh, opportunity in place to help him develop within game reps and the preseason too is going to be huge. Uh, that makes me feel a little bit better about it because I think they will be able to develop him in season as the year goes on. And if, you know, if it's later in the season and they have to turn to him, we'll see how it's going. I wouldn't be shocked if there's a point where, you know, he's still a drop off from Hunter Henry, but it's not a massive drop off. If it's like week one, that could be a problem. So I think there's two ways that he gets on the field Obviously, injury is one of them, but you sort of mentioned them kind of easing 
the workload a little bit of Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith just to keep those guys fresh. We could see the beginning, first couple of weeks of the season. I think if Asiasi has a really good training camp and really good preseason, maybe he does mix in a little bit with those guys early on just to save those guys for later on in the season. The the other thing I'll say about Asiasi is is even though he had some issues, I would say with drops last year and, and things of that nature as a receiver when you started to see him block well as a run blocker for Patriots tight ends, that's always where it starts for, for all Patriots pass catchers really. Right. Like when they start blocking their butts off that that's always a good sign. And I really thought that he held up as an inline blocker and that's sort of where it starts to be the, the confidence starts to build and things start to come up from that. And the pass catching, the receiving hopefully comes more so after the fact, once you get the blocking going and once they feel comfortable as blockers, because they put so much on tight ends plates with the blocking. So I'm really interested to see how Asiasi kind of carries that spring into the summer because he did look like a viable NFL tight end out there at minicamp. Granted, that was just minicamp. So let's see how it looks in training camp. How about Dalton Keene? What is Dalton Keene's role on this team? What's his purpose on this team? Because I continue to come back to with him that I sort of just feel like the reason why they're going to stick it out with him is because of sunk cost. And I understand that that Bill Belichick might be a little bit above that, but they traded so much to come back up in the third round to draft this guy that they'll give up on him one year into that experiment seems a little hasty even for Bill and, I, that, but to me, that's like the only thing I can come up with is the reason why he should really even be on this team. Like he 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 has no role, he has no position. Like what are we doing here with Dalton Keene? Well, we did talk about using Devin Asiasi to spell Hunter Henry. You can use Dalton Keene to spell Johnu Smith. I think too, and we've talked about this before. I keep saying we've talked about this before. We we need training camp already. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> The the fullback position as it's existed in New England for the last four or five years, right? That James Devlin role may it's really not gonna have a spot this year, at least not a yeah. predominant one. If you're going two tight ends and a running back and a fullback, that's one wide receiver on the field, and that's just it's not gonna work in the modern NFL. As much as I would love to see that, it's not gonna work a ton. Not and, unless it's fourth and in inches and you're just trying to right. You know, play bully ball, right? Look, there will be room for a pure lead blocking fullback, but it's not going to be a ton of snaps. It's really, like you said, fourth and one goal line. And we've seen the Patriots get creative with that before, whether it be offensive linemen. We've seen them use defensive linemen like that. And they certainly have guys on this team who can do that. Christian Barmore, I believe, did that a couple times at Alabama. Just one example. I'm sure Lawrence Guy could do it. And, you know, I, I'm sure Devon Godshaw could do it. We've seen them use a linebacker in that spot. They threw right. the ball to a Landon Roberts. So, right. you know, Even, or they could use one of their offensive linemen off the right. bench to do it. Is, right. is the easy one. You put Justin Heron back there. Right. Uh, Ted Karras, maybe. So there, there's ways for them to get that when they need it. And because they won't need a lead fullback as much, a traditional lead fullback, I wonder if Dalton Keene slips on as a move fullback, as a guy who's maybe more of a, a passing weapon out of the fullback position and a backup tight end, and he grabs um, a Jakob Johnson spot. So to me, that's how he makes it on the roster, is they want a fullback, but they don't want that James Devlin, Jakob Johnson type, and then he also provides insurance for John U. Smith because you're not going to put Devin Asiasi out there in the role John U. Smith is playing, right? If, if John U. gets hurt, and you don't have Dalton Keene, that role is gone. Now, 
can Dalton Keene, you know, carry that role? I don't know. We'll have to see, but at least you have a chance. The, you know, then you have to get to the question of was Dalton Keene, you know, so ineffective last year that he can get to the practice squad. Because if you can do that, two birds, one stone, you don't have to keep him on the roster, but you still have him if you need him. So I think that's Keene's path to the roster. It's a convoluted one. It's not exactly clear cut, but I'm not writing him off. You know, I'm not using him. I'm not having him as an automatic roster cut right away. Whatever the opposite of a roster lock is, I guess a camp body. I'm not counting him as a camp body just yet. Oh, absolutely not. And I agree. I guess would be the word. Right. I I agree with you hundred percent in the fact that his way to be on this team is to be the guy that wears all the hats, right? Like just do everything, play in the kicking game, play a little bit of tight end, play a little bit of fullback, move him around. And, and that's what I think. Yeah. Special teams. I think that's exactly what he's going to have to do to, to continue to make this team. And they've been reluctant to go, full H back, but John really is kind of a full H back. And when they use him in those kind of motion plays and plays out of the backfield and that that's going to be a part of this offense, I think moving forward. So maybe we see a little bit more of that. And then we've ha- have typically seen and that James Devlin battering Ram fullback is sort of out, but we sort of see that for Dalton Keene as a path here to make this team. But where does that leave Jakob Johnson? Because Jakob Johnson has developed into a nice lead blocker. He can, he's not James Devlin, but he can play that James Devlin type of role. But like we just said, how many snaps does that role get this year? 10% maybe if right. we're pitching it. So uh, I guess it could be higher, but I, I, I don't know. It, it just seems to me like as great, as good of a story as Jakob Johnson has been, the find in the international pathway program and all these kinds of things, as much as he has developed into that role, it just sort of feels like that role is obsolete. And there are some options with Jakob Johnson, right? They right. can designate him as an international pathway player. He wouldn't be eligible to play this year, but they would protect him from getting poached by another team. And he wouldn't take up... And, and he wouldn't take up any spot. He wouldn't take up a spot on the roster, right. not on the practice squad. So you basically say, hey, we're going to put you on the shelf for the year, and then you revisit it next year. Exactly. I That's a chestnut checkers type of move by Bill Belichick, yeah. right? Like you don't need that fullback this year, but maybe the offense shifts, maybe things change next year, and then you can still revisit it with Jakob Johnson instead of losing him to another team. Yeah. No, I, I and I think that, you know, we have to see how it all plays out in camp, but if you're not going to use the guy this year and you have a way to hold on to him, you know, I, you do kind of have to make sure that that's okay with him. Right. If he doesn't want to sit out the year and he thinks he can go sign and play somewhere else, you do kind of have to let him go. But you know, if he says, yeah, I, you know, I like being a Patriot and maybe there's not a huge market for fullbacks, which there usually isn't, then maybe he says, yeah, you know, that works for me. Still getting paid all that. You know, he gets to hang out around the team still. And then you revisit again next year. It's possible. I I understand people's because I I believe in my last roster projection I I had Jakob Johnson off the team and I got a lot of pushback from people about that right and because he has been a, a good player in his role for the Patriots last year but it just kind of feels to me like that fullback position is unless he's doing some other things whether it's the kicking game potentially or or whatever which he can do 
Yeah, he's got yeah. he's got to make himself valuable somehow beyond just being that lead blocker because there's just not going to be the reps there to warrant carry that play, carrying that player. Like you said, you put one of the tight ends back there, you put one of the offensive linemen back there. Heck, you could put one of the defensive linemen back there in a goal line situation and 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 do it that way. Mike Vrabel played fullback for the Patriots. You know, Landon right. Roberts played fullback for the Patriots. So there's all sorts of possibilities if they really need to get that traditional fullback on the field and they don't have Jakob Johnson rostered is he valuable enough to make the team uh let's jump back over to the wide receivers some of these depth wide receivers if you will we talked about the top three guys but what about your boy gunner is he going to blossom into a receiving threat this year or are we still talking about gunner as just kind of a punt returner only? so hang on let me pull up the numbers here because we've done this before i i I do think he's going to make the team and he'll contribute a little bit as a receiver i don't know how much it's going to be, but he should catch a couple passes this year. So here's the comp. Julian Edelman caught 37 passes his rookie year, but they were pretty banged up that year, right? He then catches 7-4-21. He doesn't break out until 2013 when he catches 105. That's his fifth year in the league at the age of 27. Gunnar Roshevsky is going into his third year in the league at the age of 25. So using Julian Edelman as the comp, using Julian Edelman's pace – there's still two years before Gunnar Oshevsky is really set to break out. I don't know that he does this year. And at the same time, if he doesn't, I'm not going to be concerned with his developments as a receiver. As long as we don't see any regression, as long as he's, you know, at least slightly better than he was last year. And by the way, last year he caught 20 passes, which Edelman in his second year caught seven. Did he really catch 20 passes last year? Looking at this right now. uh, No, he didn't. I'm looking at the return numbers. See, I don't know why it's only giving me the return numbers. He caught because I think he caught big five passes, five for 62 (laughs) yards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry about that. Um, So if, if, but if he's in that like 15 to 20 catch range is where I think he should be. That's about right for him. Yeah, I, I'm not worried at all about if Gunner develops as a receiver either because he still brings a ton of value as a punt returner to the team. He's going to make the yep. team as a punt returner, and we'll see. If they get anything out of him as a receiver, they've already gotten more than you would hope for and dream for out of him as a punt returner. Right. So if they get anything out of him as a receiver, it's a bonus. How about I the – Well, real quick, I think the real leap for him to take this year is kick returner. Because yeah. he struggled with that last year, and he'll have con- – this is going to be one of the more interesting position battles is kick returner. Uh, I I think that if he can be the, the kind of kick returner he is as a punt returner, he never needs to develop into a receiver, and they'll still keep him. Um, it's not quite the same thing. People say, oh, if you can do one, why can't you do the other? They're very different. But if he can emerge as a kick returner, that to me is almost a bigger development than if he emerges as a receiver. 100% because the next guy that I'm going to bring up here is Isaiah Zuber, who I think if he... That's his biggest competition. Right. If he finds his way on the team, looks like a great possibility to be returning kickoffs and maybe even uh, jj taylor did that a little bit in college as well and we can get to jj taylor here in a second and he did last year yeah out of that zuber trey nixon um marvin hall even i know there's a lot of love christian wilkerson christian wilkerson out of that group who do you like you know these guys i I think zuber has sort of separated himself a little bit in in minicamp but nixon's a rookie so i don't know if we would have expected much out of nixon a seventh round pick in his first minicamp and a really difficult offense all these things right i don't know if we really expect that 
and he was hurt too, I think for, for part of the spring. So yeah, I like Zuber and it goes beyond, you know, he was doing everything last year. It looked like he was everything but a polished receiver and he looks more polished this year, which is big, but that's not even necessarily why I'm drawn to, to him making the team. We talked about before, what do you do, right? If John U. Smith gets hurt, who fills that role in Dalton Keene, maybe, but if Dalton, you know, if Dalton Keene, if you don't keep him, it's going to look a little different, but we saw Isaiah Zuber kind of used as that gadget player last year, right? That, you know, motion snap, pop pass, scheme open kind of guy. Can he maybe in some ways fill in what you were doing with John U. Smith if you lose John U. There's also the special teams ability there. He can play a little running back on third downs, like as a pass catching running back line up in the backfield. We saw him do that in college. So he can do a ton, right? And I think that, you know, is is Marvin Hall maybe more polished traditional receiver? Yeah, probably. Is Christian Wilkin more polished traditional receiver? Yeah, probably. But you, there's just so much that Isaiah Zuber can do. I think he ultimately gets the nod. And I do like Trey Nixon. I think he is a future. He, to me, is a guy that they try to get on the practice squad, work with away from game action for a year. And then when he comes back next year, kind of like we're doing with Isaiah Zuber now. He wasn't realistically a guy last year. He needed polish. Now he has a year under his belt, and he looks like a realistic option. I think uh, Trey Nixon is essentially a year behind where Isaiah Zuber is. Yeah. Do you want to give the breaking news? I want to give the breaking news. I, okay. I didn't want to cut off because you were on a roll. Well, but, I was uh, like trying to read it. Hang on. Can I do the siren? Uh, so I think this is siren-worthy breaking news. Here's the breaking news. This is an offense preview, and of course, Field Yates is blowing up the spot and giving us a defensive topic to talk about. But as you can see here on the bottom of the screen, breaking news right now, Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore has reported to the team for training camp per source. That is Field Yates, and he will begin the season on the PUP list after a season-ending injury in 2020. So that quad injury lands him on the PUP list for now. That's really – we talked about this a little bit with the NFI guys off the show, Alex, that this is all kind of procedural at this point. They've still got six days till training camp to get Stephon Gilmore off the pup list. Also, Stephon Gilmore has been around the block a few times in the Patriots' defense. So if he starts for the few, first few practices on the PUP list, then who right. really ultimately cares? But Stephon Gilmore has reported – that basically means the holdout's over, right? I mean, there's really no other. You, once you report, you're not holding out anymore. Well, so there's I, still the questions aren't all answered. No, but so oh, if, actually, here's here's Mike Reese with the rest of the uh, PUP list. Oh, okay. Oh, there, there's some names on here. All right. Well, you well, ready? Let's get to that in a second. I, okay. I, I want to, then you can read your list. I want to just briefly touch. I mean, do we feel, we don't know, right? We're, we're, we're guessing here, but did, do we feel this must mean that there has to be some sort of resolution here with Gilmore coming, right? I mean, they, they have I to would think, him or something. I would think there's some sort of contract news following this. Yes. I think because uh, the PUP list apparently went out today with Reese reporting it, I, I would assume that, you know, that that had, it had to come out today. If he's going to be on PUP, that means he plans on reporting. So they had to put that out there. And I would think that there's contract news following in the near future. I agree as well. So we're probably going to hear, we'll probably log off the show and feel the eights will report that Stefan Gilmore signed a new deal or something like that. And we'll, we'll have uh, blown that, but Stefan Gilmore's in the building. He has reported. We can read the PUP list now. Wait, I thought the report date was Tuesday. It is Tuesday. I think that there is a... So he reported earlier he's expected to report. 
according yeah, I guess to, I, I guess I have the report paper or, okay. like, or whatever way you want to put it. I mean, I feel Yates have made it sound here like they like a bunch of the veterans reported today. Um, so so obviously there there's some early report date or, or something like that. Um, let's read the PUP list, but great news on Stefan Gilmore, obviously yes. reporting and, and in the building. So that seems to be moving in a positive direction. Uh, read the names on the PUP list. Okay. So some guys who just talked about, um, I think this is alphabetical, uh, Byron Cowart. So that's not a total surprise. I think he missed time this spring, right? Yep. Uh, Stefan Gilmore, Therese Hall, a little bit of a surprise. Dalton Keene, not a surprise. Brandon King, not a surprise. Devin Smith, uh, practiced so that's uh out there a little bit and then these these are two where i said there's some names here Jarrett stidham and chase winovich will both open the season uh or open training camp on pup that's interesting yeah i that's not good for stidham Stidham, who who do you want to start with your show who do you want to start with okay well chase winovich first of all we knew about that one he is dealing with some things during minicamp that held him out of minicamp he's been in the foxborough area he's been training at gillette stadium and rehabbing at gillette stadium i don't expect him to be on the pup list for long and this happens all the time with the patriots especially guys are start on the pup list and then immediately after the first or second day of practice they're removed from the pup list right so these things uh happen quickly i don't expect chase to be on the PUP list for very long. Uh, the Jared Sidham one is very, very interesting because as far as we know, there was not an injury for him during mini camp. Maybe it happened. So he got banged up in during training or something like that. I, I don't know where that one is necessarily coming from. I haven't heard anything about that. And when you start to think about and start to do all the, as we do, uh, do all the, the, permutations and all the things that could possibly happen, all the predictions, uh, Jared Sidham being on the the odd man looking in that quarterback room uh, is looking more and more like a possibility. I mean, I don't know. I don't think that we don't know the severity of the injury, so we probably shouldn't uh, start predicting IR stints and stuff like that. But it, it is really interesting to see him on PUP, and that's certainly not good for him because he needs all the reps that he, you know, to kind of showcase himself. Well, look, we know we, we know how this works. You miss a couple practices, that can be it. If Brian Hoyer comes out hot, that that's going to be that. I actually am working on right now for 98.5thesportsup.com, my top position battles to watch outside of Mac versus Cam. And I'm, uh, the reason I'm calling it that and not top position battles to watch outside of quarterback is there is one at quarterback. That right. third guy. Is it going to be Stidham? Are they going to go with the younger guy, the upside? Or are they going to go with the mentor and Brian Hoyer? And advantage Hoyer right now. Cause he's on the field instead of isn't. And like you said, we don't know how long it's going to last, but you figure if they're putting him on there, he's going to miss at least one practice. It doesn't guarantee it. I was trying to figure this out yesterday. No. I think it was Isaiah Wynn who once came off PUP in the first practice, rendering the whole thing irrelevant. Right. But it, this is not good for Sidham. We saw what happened last year when he kind of faded in training camp. And that was the other way around. He started and then he got hurt. Now he's starting off hurt, but not good for a guy who's trying to make the team and not good for the Patriots who, would at the very least like to develop some trade value for this guy. Right. And what I started kind of when I did my offensive preview, my written post on BSJ, when I started to kind of think about this, I said to myself, well, look, Brian Hoyer. Hang on, quick, quick update on Gilmore. Yeah. Uh, Ian Rappaport, no new contract, but Gilmore is present in New England. He'll take his time returning from his injury. So is he not just not holding out? I guess. Or is he, he just, is this just it? I guess he dropped the holdout. Maybe they know. That'd be incredible. New- Maybe the, you know, Ian might be saying no new contract right this very second, right? You know, I mean, I figure, but 
right, yeah. we'll, we'll see. That's that it's in this Gilmore thing is really interesting. They obviously incentivized him somehow to to report, right? You know, they they obviously incentivized him somehow to to come uh, and and report to the team. I want to get back to Brian Hoyer really quickly though, because yeah. Jared Stidham's value is obviously, I guess, some some upside exists there, and. But really, when you look at that third quarterback spot, is there more value? And I know that this might not be the case, but just presenting the question, facilitating, as as Felger would say, is there more value in somebody that can mentor Mac Jones, somebody that can help both Mac Jones and Cam Newton in that quarterback room from a studying perspective, a playbook perspective, an opponent film room perspective, and can run the scout team successfully while Mac Jones taking that sort of responsibility away from Mac Jones, because running scout team can be confusing for some guys, right? Where you're going back and forth between terminologies and things like that. So Brian Hoyer as a scout team quarterback and basically de facto assistant quarterbacks coach, does that hold more value on the 53 man roster than Jared Stidham? And obviously Jared Stidham could be traded for something, right? So you're really talking about Hoyer in trade compensation for Jared Stidham or Jared Stidham. You know, which one is going to end up being more valuable? And I guess this is a good transition to kind of talk into some of these quarterback situations as well that we wanted to get to. Yeah, I... I mean, I'm I'm keeping Hoyer in trading Stidham in that case. I think if you get down to your third quarterback, things have gone so wrong. <laughs> you know, having the more immediately competitive guy, I don't know that I'm super worried about that at that point. I right. give me the guy who's going to make Mac Jones better in the long term. That's all I care about. I will sacrifice a game or two this year if it means Mac Jones is a better player for the next eight to 10 years. I think that has to be the mindset. I, there is no reason to be in a win-now mode if if you're the Patriots at the quarterback position. Give me Brian Hoyer and the draft capital. And we've talked about how valuable these draft picks are for next year. Give me Brian Hoyer and the draft capital over Jared Stidham. Right. I guess it just matters what that draft capital is, but I do really feel like that's an interesting element to this is that Brian Hoyer, remember back in that 2018 season with the Los Angeles Rams Super Bowl, the gushing the locker room did after that game on the defense about how great Brian Hoyer was on the scout team that week, right. emulating Jared Goff. And I also mentioned that sometimes when you have a rookie first-round quarterback like Mac, you don't want to flood his brain with another team's playbook every single week, right? You don't want to force him to run scout team all on his own. So Mac's able to work with Josh McDaniels and the Patriots starting uh, offense and and, and work on the Patriots offense all season long, assuming he's backing up Cam for the time being. And Brian Hoyer is your scout team quarterback, and you get something back in the trade for Jared Stidham. This all kind of is predicated on Jared Stidham playing decently well in the preseason, you know, because they're not going right. to get anything. They'll get a bag of footballs if he plays like crap in the preseason games. So th- that's going to be a big kind of part of this as well. But th- that I think we've talked a lot about Cam versus Mac. We did whole shows on that, but that third quarterback spot, because I do think that there is going to be a slight COVID element in all of this too, where they might want to carry three qu- quarterbacks again yeah. just in case they pop up with that. 
I think beyond that, you have to carry three, like you said, for the scout team. You don't want Mac Jones running the scout team instead of working on his own game. Right. I agreed 100%. So that's the quarterback minute. Uh, back to the wide receivers really quickly. We got to just briefly touch on Nikhil Harry in his situation. So it sounds to me like the Patriots are going to at least uh, call Nikhil Harry's bluff with this trade demand. I, I, I don't expect Nikhil Harry to get moved before uh, training camp. I say that. And of course he'll get moved tonight or something like that. But the expectation is not that he's going to, that he will not get traded before training camp, at least on my end. And I sort of think that the Patriots are saying to Nikhil Harry, uh, this is as much your fault as it is ours. You need to come in here and compete. You need to come here and play hard and, and do what we're telling you to do and work on your game. And don't, you know, don't blame this all on us, right? You know, right. You're, you're the first round talent. So I, I think that there is a little bit of a game of chicken going on here between Nikhil Harry and the Patriots. I would agree with that. I, I said it when we did the show the day he requested the trade. I think that moving him before camp is probably the better idea. If for everybody involved, he gets a fresh start, but obviously you get somebody else. I, I just don't like the idea of having somebody in camp who has no purpose being there and not all 90 guys need to have a shot at the roster, but you know, you need four quarterbacks to make camp go. Cause you just need that many arms. You need, you know, 12, 13 offensive linemen to make camp go. They have enough wide receivers to operate a normal training camp. They have guys who are competing for roster spots who they need to get a look at. If Nikhil's not a part of the plan, let me let me see Isaiah Zuber more. Let me see Trey Nixon more. Let me see Christian Wilkerson more. Let me see these guys in competitive reps who you actually have to make a decision on instead of Nikhil Harry, who basically already has one foot out the door and might be checked out mentally. So I, I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think you're right. I think they are going to have him in camp and try to raise his trade value. But if it were me, uh, he, he'd be gone. He'd be gone by now. You don't want to be here. You're not going to be here. Yeah, that that's it's totally fair perspective. I, I come right. back to the trade value thing. I think, look, I don't want to two reporters horns too much, but I do think writing about good camps, strong guys that had strong training camps and things like that does at least create a little bit of buzz around the league about certain players. And then you also right. have the preseason games. And I see, look, if Nikhil Harry can get out there against some third and fourth string corners and maybe moss some people uh, on a Thursday night preseason game, you, you never know what team could look at that tape and say, oh, you know, may, maybe we throw a fifth round pick to the Patriots is, for Nikhil Harry. Is bumping that pick up from a sixth to a fifth worth the reps you're taking away from other players? I don't know that it is. I think you could just as simply bump that up by saying, hey, call it a conditional seventh. And if he plays X amount of snaps, it'll be a fifth. If he plays X, it'll be a fifth. I would rather, if I'm the Patriots, take the risk, make it a conditional pick and open up those reps for other players. I think there's a way to move that pick up. Like let, let them evaluate him on their time. Let the other team evaluate him at their camp and figure out if he can moss these third and fourth string corners in their building. And if he can't, yeah, you only end up with a seventh, but if he's not doing it in your building, you're only ending up with a seventh anyway. This way, you still have those rips for all the other players. Alex is done with Nikhil Harry. That's what he's saying. He, he's washed his hands. I mean, it, it, it sucks, and I do think the Patriots, I've talked about this, I think the Patriots, to an extent, are at fault for his lack of development, but I just, you know, I believe that everybody should be in camp for a purpose, and I don't think potentially raising day three draft stock is enough of a purpose 
to use a 90-man roster spot on. I just don't believe that. So. Okay, so you got the top three guys, uh, Myers, Bourne, Aguilar. Yes. yes. Gunnar Olszewski is obviously going to make the team as the fourth receiver or fifth receiver, whatever way you want to put him in the depth chart. Who, assuming Nikhil Harry is not here, just really quickly, give me a name. Zuber, Nixon, uh, Christian Wilkerson, yeah. Marvin Hall. Who's the guy that gets the fifth spot? Nikhil can be here. I'm going with Zuber. I said before they announced it, I thought they were going to try to move him. I, I think it's Zuber. I think his special teams ability. I think his, you know, kind of wild card offensive ability with the jet yeah. sweeps and stuff like that. There's too much versatility. There's too much explosiveness. You mentioned they are kind of a slower offense. He definitely adds some speed. I think it's Zuber. Uh, I'm not going to sleep on Wilkerson. He's kind of my, my, you know, sleeper pick for that spot. But I, I had Zuber on my initial roster projection. So far, nothing has changed. I'm riding with him. I hate when I agree with you so much. Yeah, Zuber, I, I agree with that fifth spot. I love the versatility, like you said. I love the kick return ability. I think last year they kind of struggled to find a, a guy that could be a real dynamic kick returner back there. They had a dynamic punt returner. Gunner didn't really work out as much as a kick returner. If Zuber, which he did very, very well in college, I can take some kicks back, then that really does add a little bit. I, I The role that you look at is that Cordero Patterson role from a few yes. years ago, right? Jet sweeps, end arounds, gadget plays, kick return ability. You know, if he can be sort of a Cordero Patterson light, uh, then that's that's a nice find as a fifth receiver. And the other thing with Nikhil is if you're the fourth or the fifth receiver and you're not playing in the kicking game, then you you have to almost play then, in the kicking game. You're not going to be the fourth and fifth receiver. Right, like no. if you're a wide receiver four or five and you can't, contribute on special teams then you now, are not going to be that player now to be fair he did return kicks in college he did and and we talked about this when they drafted him and it never really came to fruition if he is going to stay and he does want to make the team we talked about you know the potential kick returners earlier zuber gunner uh jj taylor they let kyle duggar return some kicks last year he was okay i don't think they'll have him do it again but he could uh, i think Nikhil has to factor into that conversation as well Okay, let's talk about running backs. Um, I we could we've talked about Damian Harris a little bit. We've talked about Sony a little bit. Well, so let's, yeah, I, I have a quick spiel on that. Okay, quick thing, because uh, I get asked, and I'm sure you do too, all the time. Who is RB one? Who is the Patriots running back one? Yeah, and let's throw a quick definition on what RB one means for the Patriots in the Patriots' offense. Not fantasy football nonsense. The Patriots have not had a running back play over fifty percent of their snaps since Legarrette's last year. That would be 2016. Right. Only twice since 2016 has a guy gone over 40% of the snaps. That was James White twice. What RB1 really means, it has nothing to do with playing time because they're going to split things pretty evenly, I believe, between Sony Michelle and Damian Harris, assuming they stay healthy. RB1 is more of a situational term than it is a usage term. Third and one in the fourth quarter, who gets the ball? Up three points, you right. need to it's, drive to run out the clock. Who gets the, the ball? early down back roll? Is right. well, they're both going to be early down, but in terms of who's the starter, who's the main guy, right. don't look at snap count, look at leverage. One guy may play more, but he may play just low leverage situations again. And one to go, fourth down, late in games. Who's on the field in those situations? That's your RB1. And also, I, I just want to add, I also see a lot out there in the fantasy football crowd mostly uh, talking about how Damian Harris is going to dominate the the rush attempts in New England and he's going to be the clear cut as you call it RB1 I, I don't feel that way I I still feel like they're going to use Sony Michelle oh, yeah. I, I I don't know if it's going how much he's going to kind of cut into Damian Harris's uh, rushing attempts but 
Sony Michelle last year, when Damian Harris kind of pushed him a little bit and pushed the envelope, had a very, very productive season. Sony Michelle averaged 5.7 yards per carry last year. Now, a lot of that has to do with the offensive line, with Cam Newton's running through all these types of things, right? And it's a smaller sample, it's about 80 carries or something like that. But the main point I'm making here is that. I still think that Damian Harris and Sonny Michelle are going to be in somewhat of a committee. Now, it might be a 75-25 committee or a 60-40 committee in favor of Damian Harris, but I, I think that Sonny Michelle is going to touch the ball plenty out of that backfield, and it is not going to be just a full-on Damian Harris show, as some people have thrown out there, because when Bill Belichick has two capable early down backs, he typically uses two capable early down backs. It's only when they've really been forced to only use one guy because they don't have anybody else behind that guy like Eric Blunt or Court Dillon or, or someone like that has dominated the carries in those instances. But when they have two guys, they typically use both guys, right? They've typically spread the wealth around a little right. bit. All right. Uh, yesterday, Ramondre Stevenson placed on the uh, non-football injury list. He's been dealing with some nagging injuries and things like that. Uh, I'm less concerned about his health and all that kind of stuff. More wondering, and I think this is the big question everybody was asking, probably both of us, Alex, yesterday when this news came out, was is this just a prerequisite to Ramondre Stevenson being that redshirt rookie running back that we're so accustomed to seeing? Probably. Probably. Again, they never truly replaced Rex Burkhead and – Stevenson is, you know, for all the comps to Garrett Blunt, he actually might be closer to Rex Burkhead in terms of what he can do. Uh, he's excellent in the passing game, especially as a blocker, which is somewhere that Burkhead succeeded. So, you know, if you want a one-for-one swap with Burkhead's role, Stevenson may, makes sense. But there is that that rookie situation. It does look like it's going to be a redshirt year. And, you know, between J.J. Taylor and Brandon Bolden, because people forget Brandon Bolden's like sneaky good in the passing game. Yeah. Uh, everybody remembers the real wheel route against Denver. I know Murph remembers if he's still watching but or listening. But uh, between those two guys, you can kind of fill what Burkhead did. It's just an extra guy you got to keep on the roster, even though I, both those guys are probably going to make the team anyway. So, uh, yeah, I think this is, you know, the beginning of, hey, here's Ramondre Stevenson. All right, you'll see him again in 2022. So I, I, I kind of feel the same way, unfortunately, as much as I would like Which, to see Ramondre Sorry, Stevenson. I keep cutting you off real quick. Him not playing this year does not make him a bad player. Yes, I went through this BS with Damian Harris two years ago. I'm not doing this again. Him not playing does not make him a bad pick, does not make him a bad player. This is how they do business. Do not bother me with this crap this year. Okay, we will see if he was a good pick or not in two years when he actually plays. (laughs) It was Uh, was the whole thing because I was a big Damian Harris guy, and it was, oh, he's a boss. He can't even get on the field where they waste another pick on a running back. He's pretty darn good. James White had 14 touches as a rookie. Freaking relax with the rookie running backs before you write them off. We've seen this happen a million times. There is hard evidence that this is how they do business. Whether you agree or not that it's the right choice, that's a discussion we can have. I personally like that they do it, but if you're against it, that's fine. That's another discussion. A running back not playing as a rookie does not mean he sucks. All right, I'm done. No one even got you going. You just got yourself going. People got me going last year, and it came back up. Okay, so with Ramondre Stevenson real fast, 
as soon as he starts missing practices, that's when you know that this is all a prerequisite for him to get redshirted, right? Because if he misses a week or if he misses more than a week of training camp, forget about it, right? Just forget about it. They're not going to throw a rookie running back out there that missed the first two weeks or three weeks of camp. It's just, it's not going to happen. So I definitely think that this is, could be, but I'm not ready to say it is yet until he truly starts missing camp practices. If we get out there next Wednesday, next Thursday, then, and he's not out there, then I'm going to start to say, okay, well, this is probably your typical red shirt. Uh, JJ Taylor, does he cut into James White snaps? Uh, I think everybody really likes JJ Taylor. I think he's like one of like the yeah, fan favorites. Like. A lot to like about him. Yeah. Uh, the coaching staff really likes him. Is really Ivan Fears is always extremely high on him. I think the one element he does bring a, a little bit of juice, a pretty good explosiveness, and the one element that maybe he has a little bit more of right now because of his age and and that explosiveness compared to James White is the ability to vertically get up the field. You know, we saw him right mini camp get targeted deep down the field quite a bit, you know, wheel routes, flex him out wide and have him run a double move, things of that nature. It it, it is a little bit, you have to be accurate because he is, he is tiny, right? So yeah, he doesn't have a a large catch radius per se, but he does have that ability to get behind the defense a little bit where maybe some of their running backs, especially the bigger backs, aren't going to have that element to them. So I, what's tricky with Taylor is, and this gets lost a lot when we talk about receiving running backs, right? As important as it is to run routes and catch the ball, and and that's all important, you got to be able to block. Because about half the time, you're going to be staying in and pass protection in these situations. And Taylor is listed, listed at 5'6", 185. And, you know, what happens when J.J. Watt, they're not playing the Cardinals this year, whoever, right, comes flying around the edge and and Taylor's got to pick him up one-on-one and chip him. Now, I'm not saying he can't do it. Darren Sproles was a pretty good blocker. And Darren Sproles was not a big guy. But... He didn't, you know, it wasn't a strength of Taylor's in college. We didn't really see one way or the other him do it much last year. So this is where, again, we go back to that red shirt season with the rookie running backs. You'd think one of the things they worked on with him last year while he wasn't playing was his ability to pass protect. So if he's progressed in that, in, in, in that ability, and we see that in training camp, then all of a sudden we start talking about, okay, here's the one for one swap. With Rex Burkhead, you're going to plug, because Burkhead was a good blocker too. You're going to plug him in. He can run the ball in a traditional set. He can catch the ball. He can pass block. Boom, you're golden. If pass blocking still an issue, then, you know, can he cut into James White snaps maybe a little bit, but in against blitz-heavy teams, you might have to use White. You might have to use Damian Harris. You might have to use Brandon Bolden, somebody who's going to hold up a little bit, bit better pass blocking. So, if you know, if you're looking at J.J. Taylor and what's his role going to be and, and is he going to make the team, if you're following camp and those are your questions, you want to look at J.J. Taylor as a pass blocker because that that's what's going to come down to him having maybe a minor role in the offense versus him playing a more significant role. Yeah, I, I agree. And as much as he can be really productive as a receiver, really flashy as a receiver and dynamic, you know, be a threat. Right out there both out of the back of them like i said there are instances even last year there was a one throw i think uh, that they did connect on it but he did run a double move and he beat the guy he did run a double move in minicamp i remember and he got behind the defense again he has that element to his game uh, he has a, a nice burst to him when he runs the football but like you said it's going to be all those elements is he going to be able to pick up a blitz is he going to know not only physically be able to pick up a blitz but know where he's supposed to go when when he is in blitz pickup because the patriots as as a as an offense as in terms of schematically 
they really are a dual read system. And, and what a dual read system means is that the running back can be two for one a lot of the time. And he is going to have to pick where he, who is going to block based off of who's the nearest threat, uh, what, where the, what the other kind of uh, blocking scheme and what everybody else is sort of doing on a given play. It is not easy to block and pass protect in the Patriots system because of the complexities in which they sort of do it. And there's reasons for why they do that. But the dual read system is confusing for young players that that's why a lot of these guys don't get on the field in pass protection because of those issues so it's definitely going to be the number one thing for jj taylor he's a dynamic player i also want you know we mentioned earlier in the show that he has that ability to return kickoffs i think that's going to be a little bit of a factor here as well where you might be able to see him have a role returning kickoffs, spelling James White a little bit in uh, low leverage situations. And maybe he does see a little bit more playing time this season. And uh, we got to talk at least five minutes about the offensive line. I I, I keep on trying to come up with things to talk about with the offensive line. And it just, it's good, right? I mean, it's a good group. Uh, there are obviously some injury concerns with the tackles mainly. Uh, Michael Onwenu moving inside to guard, we could discuss the OT depth beyond kind of the top three, if you're going to assume Onwenu is the top backup. Justin Heron, uh, Will Sherman, Corey Cunningham, kind of Yanni Kajou, he's alive. Uh, he's going to be. We could probably use them. these five minutes to get, let you tell us what's going on with Yanni Kajus. Yanni Kajus is alive. Uh, he is actually going to be out there he is going to participate actually, in that's right. he's not on is this the first time he hasn't been on pup he's a hundred percent healthy he is <laughs> going to be out there i it's unbelievable right he is actually going to participate in a real patriots practice on wednesday a, a real training camp hey, practice knock it's, on it, wood there's still awesome. a week to go I'm smiling. I love it. I, I can't wait to see Yadni Kajust out there. What if Yadni Kajust? You're just missing your boy Yelda. I know. So I got to move Is on. He to still Kajust. in Houston? Yeah, yeah. I think so. What if Yadni Kajust actually ends up being something? Like we, he had a ton of talent. He was always hurt. Uh, it's a big concern. But what if he actually ends up being something? What a career that would be, right? Like what a story that would right. be if if he actually ended up working out. Well, he had. I mean, he had upside, and you know, right. If you want to play this game, if he has a great camp, then we can start talking about potentially moving Isaiah Win again, right? He he still has that 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 rookie option year, but two years left on his deal. Um, you know, if you can get, you could probably get something pretty good for him, or maybe you trade Kajust and you get something for him because they're going to need at least one tackle next year, potentially two. Uh, they're going to need a corner. You do need to start acquiring draft capital if you're the Patriots, and Yanni Kajust could be a way to do that if he shows up in plays, which we'll see. We'll see. It, it, there's a lot of time between now and next Wednesday. So you never know. Yanni, stay safe. All right. Just stay safe. Stay well. Get yourself out there because I, I there's potential there. And when you watch him at West Virginia protecting Will Greer and, and on the left side playing left tackle, he looked and had the tape of a starting left tackle. There's a lot of scouts at that time that said, hey, this guy probably would have been a top 50, top 75 pick if it wasn't for all of the injuries, right? There is real starter potential here when you just look at raw ability and you look at tape. So don't write him off just yet. He's back. He is healthy. He's going to be out there, and he has ability. So I'm excited to looking forward to that as well. Uh, Are you at all worried about the tackle depth, though, because – 
Isaiah Wynn has his injury issues. Trent Brown didn't exactly stay healthy with the Raiders uh, for a full 16 games either. We talked about the situation where Ted Karras comes into the starting lineup on when can kick back outside to the right side and, right. and the beat goes on and all that kind of stuff. But beyond that, you have Cunningham, you have Sherman, uh, you have Justin Haran, who I, I think you're pretty high on, and I am. Yeah. As well. So maybe Haran ends up being sort of the fourth tackle, and, and the wild card is Kajust. I, I, I think Haran is, you know, a borderline starting NFL tackle right now. I, I, I think his he can play both sides, which is super helpful. I use this comp all the time, Adrian Waddle, a guy that, right. you know, if you go into the he season. He has a lot of the same issues as Adrian Waddle too. Uh, play strength, I think, is a big one for him. And just in terms of having that sturdy outside hand, right? You don't want to let guys right. run through that outside hand as easily as he did at times during, in terms of pass protection. It's, it's kind of weird because, Haran was a much better pass protector in college and not a very good run blocker. And then once he got to the NFL last season, it completely flipped. He was a very good run blocker last year and struggled in pass pro. Well, he was he was playing mostly on the right side in college, right? He played left tackle his last year. Did he? Okay. Uh, outside hand was a big one, right? sturdier yeah. outside hand he also tend to have a little bit of a false step coming out of his stance and when you fall step as a tackle obviously that's problematic and it, it makes it a lot easier to get the corner on you and that and that can be a problem so those are all things though that Carmen Brasello and, and, and Cole Popovich can work out of him right you know those are, right. those are technique issues the strength thing though is is kind of on him right he's got to go in the weight room he's got to add to his core and be a little bit stronger uh, and not get bull rushes easily not give up that outside hand as easily yeah but I, again I you know he's a guy where do you go into the season with him as your starting tackle it's a little iffy if you have him as a third guy who you need to make four or five starts I think that's a good role for him uh, again, I'm high on him and I, I like Sherman. I do. I think there's some intrigue there. He's a potential five position player on the offensive line. That's incredibly rare. Uh, I, I liked enough of what I saw from him at Colorado that if he's the, the fourth tackle, if we're just going to count on when who was a guard that I think they'll be all right. Uh, I, I'm really not too worried anything depth wise on the offensive line. I think between Ted Karras, Michael Onwenu, and William Sherman, the versatility of those three guys, they're in very good shape up front. Let's just let's still clap for Dante Scarnecchia because not only oh, yeah. does he does he lay the foundation for how they coach offensive linemen and how they drill offensive linemen, he's still heavily involved in the scouting. He still has a heavy hand in how they scout offensive linemen. He kind of wrote the book on how they're going to scout offensive linemen and what the attributes they are going to look for and stuff. And they just keep on turning these guys out, right? Like they can, the Patriots can't miss on day three. It feels like, you know, even Justin Haran is a solid backup offensive lineman in the NFL, right? You know, he might not be a starter, but as a six round pick to get a guy that can be a third or a swing tackle, that's pretty darn good. I've said this before. I didn't think this was the conversation we're going to have today. When we talked about uh, Marshall Newhouse, right, in, yeah. in 2019 and how much of a problem he was, the reason that they had that issue was because they had Adrian Waddle and they let him go and tackles got hurt and they had a scramble. That's an incredibly valuable player, that third swing tackle. And if Herod can fill that role, it prevents you from having to plug in a guy like a Marshall Newhouse. So, yeah, it, it, it's certainly encouraging. All right. Well, did you was, think we were going to talk about Marshall Newhouse today? I did not. I did not think we were going to go down this road, but I, I, I am still just jubilant about Yadni Kajus not being on the PUP list. 
and finally getting out there for us to see. Cause I was, I was such a big Caduce guy in the draft. I was so glad when they drafted him. I, I you remember we were live on the air together when they, when they drafted him and yeah. uh, I was, I, I was given the fist pump, right. You I know, like I, butchered his name. You're like, wait, are you trying to say Yadni Caduce? Yeah. I didn't know who you were talking about. Cause he butchered the name so bad. Well, they so, had him and him and Yelda went back to back, right? Yes. They and they were just trying to torture me. Yeah, it was tough. But yeah, I, I really am glad uh, for Yadni Kajus that he's going to get back out there. Uh, sorry, we went a little bit long. I, I shouldn't say sorry. I, I'm sure you guys uh, seem like you guys enjoyed it good enough. But uh, we went a little bit long because of the breaking news there with Stefan Gilmore and the PUP guys. Alex and I will be back on the show on Tuesday, uh, training camp eve episode we'll do some more preview stuff we'll talk about what we hear from the players and and patriots head coach bill belichick on tuesday uh players talking tuesday too i thought it was i I believe we're gonna get like devin mccord you know the statement right you know probably uh some of the captains Uh, i am i am pumped i mean we still got a couple more days here to recharge and and get ready but uh we are all extremely pumped uh for this and we're gonna have you covered uh all training camp long here on patriots beat and we're gonna uh, take you through all season long really on on patriots beat so it's gonna be a great time like i said uh we're gonna do as many shows as we physically possibly can during training camp to keep you guys updated on what's going on out there at pat's camp hopefully we'll see some of you guys at pat's camp as well if you guys are out there then uh come come holler at us and come say hello uh and uh we'll uh be happy to see the fans uh, back out there and it just, it will have a much, much more juice um, this time around. But again, Alex and I will be back on the show on Tuesday night. We'll probably take some questions. We'll do some preview stuff that we didn't get to because uh, these ran a little bit long than uh, what, what we were expecting. So we'll see you on Tuesday night. Thanks so much for watching tonight, guys. And we'll see you next week. Training camp next week. Get pumped everybody. Oh.